I'm not certain. I'm not certain. They they say you should never begin with an apology. So I'm not really beginning with an apology, just an explanation. This material that I'd like to share with you this morning is really designed to be presented in a book. So are you busy this afternoon? <laughs> so what I do this morning is I want to... Um, I want to just touch on this a little bit. There's so many things happening now that uh, we are interested in, in terms of big events happening in the world and how they relate to end time events. And we have questions about those things. We don't have all the answers. We have sometimes more questions than we have answers. In any event, we want to, we want to um, address some of this, share some of this. Because I believe there's something here that will be of assistance to us in, in making sense of, what ha- of what's happening. Uh, the scripture tells us that perilous times will come, and we think we are in the midst of those perilous times. What that means is there, times are difficult to navigate. Perilous times are times that are difficult to discern, they're difficult to understand completely, and they're difficult to navigate and where do we, where do we stand? Find a place to stand. I think sometimes we uh, we think we know where to stand, and we take a position, and then we find out, well, boy, maybe that's not the best place to be standing on that position. So we maybe adopt another place to stand. I think we should be somewhat reluctant to quickly jump to places to stand, but be very deliberate and careful in uh, arriving at those decisions. I want to begin this morning in Revelations chapter twenty. In verse 11, this talks about the great white throne judgment. And it says, I saw the great white throne and the one who was seated on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled. What does that mean? That's, there's a huge statement there. It says again, from whose presence earth and heaven fled, and the place was not found for them. And I saw the dead and the great and small standing before the throne, and books were opened. I underline that, and books were opened. It says, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to their deeds. That's as far as I'll read right now from that portion. So this contemplates the end of uh, the time yet future when... There is a great white throne judgment and the dead, it says, stand great and small, stand before the throne of God from whose presence earth and heaven flee away. It says books, plural, books were opened. Books, plural, were opened. And then it says, and another book was opened, singular, which is the book of life. Our understanding is the book of life would be those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But I want this morning to focus a little bit on the books that were opened, the books. And so the subject this morning is the opening of the books. And what does that mean? I think it would be reasonable for us to understand that the opening of the books, which is this future judgment in which those are called before the bar of God and are judged according to the deeds that were done in the body according to the deeds which they have done. So there would be a what involved. What particular deed, what action was done. What was done would be involved in this judgment. Also in this judgment would be why. Why was the what done? Why was the deed done? So behind this would be motive. What is the motivation in having done that? What is the motive? Not just what was done, but the motive, which is related to the why, motivation, purpose, objective. All these things will become evident and clear. If heaven and earth flee from his presence, then that suggests to us that there is no place to hide and nothing can be hidden. Now motive, at this, at this judgment, motive must be related to because in any kind of motivation, there must be some comprehension with regard to what is right and what is wrong, what is appropriate, what is inappropriate. 
There has to be some ability that the individual has or has to formulate a uh, judgment in terms of what is appropriate. Because apart from that, judgment doesn't make any sense. Unless there's volition, unless there's willing choice made based on some degree of light or instruction with regards to what is appropriate, what is inappropriate, then judgment becomes meaningless. Along with this, there must be a degree of light then. Light, truth, understanding that comes from God with regards to what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. So there must be a degree of light and in order for a judgment, a negative judgment to occur, then the darkness must be preferred to the light. John chapter 3 and verse 19, I believe it is, it says the basis for judgment is, the basis for judgment is that light has come into the world, but men have preferred darkness to the light because their deeds were evil. Now this is the, fun, this is the basis, the foundation upon which this judgment will rest. If light has not come, I suggest to you, you can't hold a person responsible for having done something that they have no way of knowing was wrong. How could you do that? You wouldn't do that with your children. You wouldn't do that with anyone, I suggest to you. You wouldn't do that if, unless there was some degree. Uh, the idea of children is an interesting one because they, by degree, come to understand what the rules are. They don't come into the world knowing exactly what the rules are. And you instruct and help them to come to understand what is appropriate and what's not. And your tender and kind and gentle and patient with them as they come to learn that. And, but then there comes an expectation that you have that, well, by now you, you have come to understand and you know what the rules are. You know what the truth or the light is. You've, you're helping them to come to see what light is. And as they come to understand then, you hold them accountable by degree according to the light that they have. These are things before us all the time that help us to understand judgment. When you go into the higher courts of our land and you listen to judgment being dispensed and observe it, then you see this element. And in our justice system, there's such a thing as mens rea, which is a term that means guilty mind. If there is no guilty mind in terms of a criminal offense in our land, there cannot be a judgment of guilt without a guilty mind. There has to be some knowledge of it. And so this... Judgment then is there's the what, there's the why, there's the motive. There must be a degree of light that has been given and it must be that darkness has been preferred to the light. And these books contain all that. When the books are opened, all these things are opened. And every detail of an individual's life, every detail. And Jesus taught very clearly that we would give an account for every idle word that we say. And if we will give an account ultimately for even the inoperative idle words that we use and say, then certainly we will give an account for the deeds that we have done. Now, um, here's something that we are familiar with, and let me just, this hunting season, some are away hunting. Uh, not being a big game hunter myself, having limited experience in the field, I know there's such a thing as a game call. So if you're a moose hunter, you don't give a duck call, right? I'm just assuming that you don't give a duck call if you're hunting moose. Nor do you give a moose call if you're hunting du uh, ducks. So what about this? This is something that's so evident, it's so self-evident. When you go out and you're hunting for something and you're able to simulate, if you like, the call, let's say moose, so you send forth a sound that is intended to be understood by the moose, right? And the idea would be that the moose will come towards that sound. There has to be something within the moose then that recognizes that sound. Now we're going to talk a little bit here this morning about call and how God calls. And historically throughout scripture how God has called nations to come and discipline other nations. And how even his own chosen people would be need to be disciplined and judged, a judgment they brought upon themselves. 
but a judgment that would be administered by a foreign power. And you say, well, these things are relevant for today. Absolutely, they're relevant for today. And I don't think we can understand where we're going in the big scheme of things without understanding some of these principles that the scripture outlines. So to get back to this idea of the game call, there has to be something in the game, a sound that that particular game understands. On the Waltons program not long ago, Grandpa went out and he gave this turkey call. They were hunting turkeys. So you see, it's all, it's all about the turkey call. Of course, Ben, he fired the shotgun way before the turkey came into sight. He was so excited. But anyway, we won't talk about the Waltons <laughs> this morning. But Grandpa went out with the turkey call because they were hunting turkeys. It was a sound that the turkey would hear and understand and be drawn by. Right? There's something in the turkey that responds to that sound. I think that's very important to keep in mind. There's a quotation from a very famous Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Jehuda. Adam Clark's commentary contains this, and he said, All the actions of men, whether good or bad, are written in a book. And of all they shall give an account. Luke chapter 2. Let me read a few verses for you just to get a, communicate another principle. There's a principle here. It says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He's a very old man, Simeon. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he would see the Lord's Christ or anointed. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. This is a very interesting wordage. He came in the Spirit into the temple. He didn't just come into the temple, but he came into the temple in the Spirit, anointed, led, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, so that all of his facilities were sensitized to the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, this is how the Lord leads his people. This is how he calls his people. There must be something within his people that hears that voice. We sang, my sheep know my voice. So there has to be something in the sheep, the genuine sheep who under, that understands the sound. It says, when the parents brought in the child Jesus so that they could do for him according to what was customary under the law, he, Simeon, took the baby Jesus in his arms and praised God and said, Now dismiss your, ser your servant in peace, Lord, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Listen to what he's saying. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother were astonished at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. What does this mean? This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Why? For a sign that is opposed. He said, and a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now, I want to read this again because there's one part is kind of a parenthetical expression. Let me read it without the parenthetical expression. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This is the idea. When Jesus came into the world, to show and demonstrate who God is, what God is like, what God thinks and what God says. He is God in human form. And the reaction of people, the reaction of people to him testified to what was in them. And the ones who loved him and embraced him were those in their hearts who loved the truth and when they heard the truth, when they heard him, they heard the truth. When they saw him, they saw the light of the world. 
and they warmed and received and welcomed him and embraced him because their hearts were favorably, favorably disposed towards that light and that truth. But there were others whose personal agenda was more important to them than was the objective truth. And they had their own priorities and their own things that were essential to them. And when he confronted or opposed those things that they valued most highly, they rejected him. Why did they reject him? Because in their heart was the evil rejection of the truth in favor of their own ideas. And that's why he came was so that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. You know, sometimes we really don't know what's in our hearts. I'll just be very honest and say ourselves. We don't know sometimes what's in our heart until we're given a choice. And when the choice comes to us and is presented to us, then we react to that and it tells what's in our heart. And this is happening now globally. This is even happening with nations in the world. Is that heart choices are being made based on what the light or truth is. And those kinds of choices are written down in books. And one day those books will be opened. And all that will be determined and judgments will be assessed accordingly. Let me go back with you to Deuteronomy from the Old Testament Scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 28. In the beginning of this chapter, it deals with the blessings that would come to the nation of Israel as they would obey the laws the Lord had given to them. They would be blessed. Everything would be blessed. And on the, con- the contrary of that, the other side of that is that there would be certain curses that would follow and visit them should they disobey. It's, this is the curses. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 15. It says, and then if you do not listen to the voice of Yahweh your God by diligently observing all of his commandments and his statutes that I am commanding you today, then all of these curses shall come upon you and they shall overtake you. You will bring them upon yourself is the idea. You will bring these judgments or you will bring these curses upon yourself. They will follow and overtake you based on your actions. You will bring judgment upon your own head. And now if I go down a few verses further to verse 49, listen to this. It says, Yahweh, your God, will raise up against you a nation from far off and from the ends of the earth. This is Babylon that is being referred to as the great world power at the time. So it says, Yahweh will raise up against you a nation from far off, from the ends of the earth, attacking as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you will not understand, grim-faced nation who does not show respect to the old and the young and does not show pity, and this is what Babylon was like. Eventually they would come in as Israel disobeyed the Lord. Eventually Babylon would come in and overrun Jerusalem, Judea, and take away hostages into various parts of Persia or Babylon. Not Persia, but Babylon at the time. It says Yahweh will raise up. See, all of these verses have to do with the idea that Yahweh or God calls these nations. And here we, this is very important. How does God call these nations to come in and act as a rod of discipline against his own people? He calls them by sending forth a sound that appeals to them in their heart. This is very important. He sends forth a sound, a call. That call is interpreted within them in a very carnal, evil, self-centered way. That's the way they view. Their motivations are evil. But the invitation is sent by the Lord. But the response within their heart that hears that invitation and gravitates towards it arrives at the conclusion, we're going to go in and we're going to overtake them, we're going to overrun Jerusalem, and we're going to take people like Daniel away as young men into various parts of our empire. These are motivations within the the nation of Babylon 
the call appeals to the motivation. And so in this way, the Lord uses those nations, cruel as they are. They're godless nations. But he uses them as a rod to discipline his own chosen people. But then what happens? Then what happens invariably throughout the history of the Old Testament, we find that the rod that the Lord uses to discipline his own people, the rod will be broken. So here's the point. The moment that Babylon determined, Nebuchadnezzar, the the rulers of Babylon determined that they would come in and they would overrun and abuse and desecrate the holy places in Jerusalem and take the people away into their own land, they sealed their own doom. So we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time to think about some of these issues. They sealed their own doom because within them that heart that responded was evil. Not godly, but evil. But the call went out to them to use them as a rod of correction because Israel, in their disobedience, had brought this judgment upon their own heads. That's the way it always is. That's the way it is now. Let me go to Jeremiah chapter 51. Pat's going to put a map up for us. (laughs) okay here we have a little map of this of course is Jerusalem this is Babylon all of this is Babylon so this is the Babylonian Empire this is the city of Ur over here my pointer is a little weak I need to change the batteries but I don't think of changing the batteries until I'm using it because it's too late okay so Babylon comes in now and they uh attack Jerusalem and execute this judgment that, that Israel has brought upon itself or Judea has brought upon itself. But then in doing that, Babylon being used as a rod of correction will be broken by the Lord. That means they've sealed their own doom. And what I want to read to you now is what happens subsequently to Babylon and the Babylonian Empire It happens by this country known as the Medes, this area, and people referred to as the Medes. And there would be a kingdom and an empire of the Medes and the Persians. But we're going to look specifically at the Medes right now because the Medes empire was very large and went over into Asia Minor, what we would refer to as Asia Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey over in the west, all the way over to India on the east. And it is very large. And Jeremiah writes about this in chapter 51 of Jeremiah. Let me read starting at verse 24. And this is the breaking, if you like, of the rod of Babylon. He said, And I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, says the Lord. So what they did was evil. Behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain, says the Lord, which destroys all the earth. And I will stretch out mine hand upon thee and roll thee down from the rocks, and I will make thee a burnt mountain. And they shall not take of thee a stone for a corner, nor a stone for the foundations. But thou shalt be desolate forever, says the Lord. This has occurred. This judgment has has been poured out. In verse 27, set ye up a standard in the land, blow the trump, listen to the, blow the trumpet among the nations. Now this is the idea of the call now to all the nations that form the Median Empire, all the way from the west, all throughout the Median Empire, the one to the north of Babylon. So there's a sound that goes forth now like the sound of a trumpet, but it calls these nations to do what? to come and to invade Babylon. And who, end, who issues this call? The Lord God issues this call. He issues the call. How does that, what does that call sound like? That would be the sound that would appeal to the interest of these nations. They would see in this something in their own self-interest. wouldn't be a holy purpose that they would feel, 
they would see something that they could take advantage of and they could exploit Babylon. So their own self-interest is being appealed to in this call. When you call the moose, you send forth a sound that the moose responds to. When you call the duck, it's a different sound. It's the sound the duck responds. What about the turkey? It's the sound the turkey responds to. When you call the median empire, it's the sound that they respond to. It says, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations against her. Call together against her the kingdoms of Ararat, Minia, or Mini, which is Armenia, and uh, Ashkenaz, which is Asia Minor. This is over to the far west, where it says Cappadocia here on the map. It says, cause the horses to come up as the rough caterpillars. Prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes, the captains thereof, and all the rulers thereof, and all the land of his dominion. The part we want to look at right now is that this is repeated many, many times in the history of the Old Testament where the Lord's people are called to obedience and to obey him, which they disobey him. And when they disobey him, they invite judgment. And the judgment often comes in the form of an evil, unholy, pagan nation that comes and executes its wrath against them. This is the discipline they have brought upon themselves. And God calls those nations to come and administer that discipline because he sends out a sound that they hear and understand and respond to. And yet you see, from their standpoint, it can be written in the books that they responded to that which was base and self-centered and evil. But when they come and execute that judgment against God's people, they will be judged in turn and they will be broken. And it happens repeatedly over and over and over. And although this is a lot to take in in a short period of time, this is something that is fundamental to our understanding of what's happening right now. Right now. What's happening in Syria, what's happening with the Kurdish people, what's happening right now in the Middle East and throughout the world. Are there nations that the Lord has a special anointing or touch on or purpose for? Are there? The nation of Israel is such a nation. The nation of Israel is a nation that the Lord has a special purpose for and in. That does not mean that Israel as a political entity is pure. They're not. They commit all kinds of selfish actions. They're not even really, as as a nation, they're not even entirely religious. They have elements of religion within them. But they're very secular for the most part. The nation of Israel is very secular and operates from very unholy motivations. But that does not mean that God has not sovereignly chosen them as a people through whom he will magnify himself in the earth. He has, and he does. And when it's necessary for them to be judged for their own disobedience, they will be. But those who execute that judgment will be in turn judged because they have touched the Lord's anointed. Now, we have to wrap our minds around that because that's a fundamental element of understanding what's happening. Always has been. It's not that difficult to understand because we have the example of it throughout the scriptures repeated many times. I have a little video clip I want to show you in just a moment. Not yet, but in just a moment I want to show this to you. I want to emphasize this before I show it to you that the when the call goes out, because I would suggest to you that there's this is happening right now. In 2019, this is happening again. There have to be conditions that occur within a person, a nation. There have to be conditions that are conducive to the call. How do those conditions, how are those conditions formed over time? I'll suggest to you that the conditions, whether this is an individual or a national interest, 
the conditions form over time because we have ears to hear the truth that the Lord presents to we have ears to hear but we don't and refuse to hear we have eyes to see the things that the Lord brings and I want to say the scripture tells us that even in nature he presents himself through his creation and he gives us life lessons even every day from the environment that we live in so in that sense we have ears to hear we have eyes to see but sometimes we choose not to hear and we choose not to see and while we're choosing not to hear and not to see that which God brings for us to hear and see our heart becoming amenable to that it's becoming more hardened to the truth of God it's becoming more dedicated to one's own self-interest there's always many things in life there are reasons to believe it and there are some reasons not to so the reasons to believe that which God gives us gives us those are minimized and the reasons not to or the reasons for doubt are magnified in the mind of the individual so the thinking becomes distorted and we're given minds to understand these things that God has placed even in his creation. Of course, the way in which God communicates to us is through his son. And the way that that's communicated and he has communicated largely is through the pages of scripture. And so the Lord gives us light in countless ways. I can't, they're innumerable ways that he gives us light. When I was uh, very young, some of the places that I remember early on before I became a believer and before I became a student of the scriptures, one of the places I loved to go because I sensed the presence of the Lord was there was a places north of Sault Ste. Marie. Um, there were various places up there. That's a marvelous place for magnificence. And there were places up there that I would go sometimes and when I would go there and walk along those waterfalls and streams and so on I would sense a presence that I didn't sense hanging around the city of Sault Ste. Marie later on I came to understand that there was a uh, simpatico if you like between that presence that I felt there in those places and the word, the scriptures. It was as if the, the feeling I had there then somehow was, um, was um, friendly to or in agreement with the spirit, the sense that I got from understanding his word. And I realized after the fact, when I was younger and when I was in those places, actually the presence of the Lord was visiting me there. Although I didn't hear the specific things that he had to say to me, when did I hear those? I heard those from opening the pages of the scriptures. But I sensed his presence there. Because his presence is everywhere. Now, there are certain conditions now within human beings that become conducive to a call. What kind of call would you be attracted by? What kind of call would you hear? What kind of call would you respond to? See, this is what... This is very important because this is happening in the nations of the world. And as this happens in the nations of the world, this determines the unfolding of events that lead to the end of the age. This will determine the decisions made by the United States of America and their president. This will deter determine the decisions made by the nation of Israel or by the nation of Iran or Iraq or any of Russia, any of the global world powers the decisions and the determinations that are being made by them are a consequence of the heart of the nation. The heart. What in them responds to a call? What call do they respond to? I'll share a little bit when I come to a conclusion with you in just a moment about the Kurdish people. I want to share just a little bit about it. I don't pretend to be, I'm not an expert on the Kurdish people, but I do know that something very important is happening right now. You say, well, the leader of ISIS was killed last evening. That's really important. Yes, that's very important. That's very important. But there's another event that's happening tonight. 
And this is an event that's being hosted by Dalton Thomas and his organization in Washington, D.C. A few weeks ago, they, when these decisions began to become uh, public that the United States was going to reduce its presence in Syria, northern Syria, and that the Kurdish, the Kurdish people would be exposed to the wrath of Turkey. The Kurds had worked, of course, with the United States military for several years to destroy the physical um, territory that ISIS ruled over. So this tremendous, um, this tremendous upheaval and disagreement with the president's decision within the United States of America. So when that first information first came out, Dalton Thomas and Joel Richardson decided that they would have a night of prayer for the Kurdish people in Washington, D.C., and they set the date for that as today, tonight, in Washington, D.C. Immediately, they booked the ballroom of the Trump Hotel in Washington to have a Trump Hotel. This is they booked the ballroom to have it. And the Trump Hotel said, yes, fine, it's available for you, and took their money. And it was booked, and then the Trump Hotel people realized what it would be used for, the meeting was used for, and said, no, we're, you can't have it here at our hotel. Here's your money back. So they returned their money, and uh, now they have it at a different hotel, Hyatt Regional, I think, something like that, in, um, in Washington. But it's going to be tonight, and Pat will play this little video clip of Dalton Thomas. The Middle East today is approaching a very critical historical juncture and a very critical historical crossroads. And at the center of this great drama is the Kurdish people, the largest stateless people in the world today. The FAI family wants to extend an invitation to you, whoever and wherever you are, to two events in October that we feel a considerable degree of urgency and sobriety over. The first is a night of prayer in Washington, D.C. on October 27th. We're going to be gathering in the presidential ballroom of the Trump Hotel on Pennsylvania Avenue to gather in united prayer and strategic alignment with the body and for advocacy for the Kurdish people. The second event that we want to invite you to participate in is October 11th, 12th, and 13th. We're calling a global fast for the Kurdish people, for the Kurdish world. We want to ask you to consider jumping in and joining us for this fast. We don't know where all of this is heading. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what to do in response to all these unfolding dynamics in the Middle East. And as an organization, a spiritual family that's laboring and serving in every country where there are Kurds today, we're feeling the urgency of this in a very pointed way. We want to ask you to join with us in praying for the Kurds and advocating for them and standing before heaven because this is the greatest advocacy that we can do is in the place of prayer. And everything else comes from that place of standing before the Lord and crying out for his purposes and getting his heart for what's happening in the region. So join us for the fast October 11th, 12th, and 13th and join us in Washington, D.C. for this special one night of prayer and strategic alignment together with the body of Christ who cares about the future and the fate of the Kurdish people. The Kurds have an expression that says, the Kurds have no friends but the mountains. It's our intention and it's our ambition, and we will do this. We will show them that they have better friends than mountains. We want to invite you to join us in that endeavor. Thank you for watching. Please share this video and join us in Washington, D.C. at the end of the month. Bless you, and Maranatha. I just want to share a few things as I come to a conclusion about the Kurdish people and about what's happening here right now and how this may affect the United States of America going forward. And I'm not going to offer what I'm about to say. I'm not going to offer this as a as a, uh, I don't want to say it too strongly, but I also want to say it in a way that, I, that is very important, in a way in which it may have major significance. But I'm just offering this, I think, for people to process and think about very deeply. The Kurdish people are a very ancient people. 
Their ancestry goes back to the Medes. We looked at a map of the Medes and referred to them in Jeremiah's prophecy of the Medes. The Kurdish people go way back in their ancestry to the Medes. They're very adaptable as a people. They, When it was necessary for them to adopt Islam as a religion, they adopted Islam as a religion in order to survive. It was necessary for them, to, for them to become Sunni Islam. They were Sunni. When it became necessary for them to be Shia Islam, they became Shia. But what they are fundamentally and, and primarily is they are Kurds. You see, they are Kurds. Their identity as a nation, uh, as a people group, is stronger than any religion they may hold for the moment. It's, it's the instinct to survive and to be adaptable in order to survive is very strong with the Kurdish people. And this proverb that they've had for many hundreds of years that we have no friends than the mountains, the only friends we have are the mountains, is because the mountains would be the place that they could retreat to when necessary for survival. And the mountains would open their arms and embrace them. But there's something about this people. And I'm relying a lot on what I read but I'm relying a lot on what I feel. And my feelings, of course, have to be measured by, by uh, truth. I'd like to know more, and I will going forward. But I, I need to share a little bit right now about it because it's very important. Based on the principles we have looked at this morning so far, why have they survived as a people group? There are many people groups that have not survived, many nations that have not survived. They uh, live in parts of Iran, parts of uh, Iraq, and parts of Syria. And they live in these various countries. Imagine yourself never having a home of your own, always having to live in a portion of your neighbor's homes. So you've got three neighbors. You don't have your own home. And you live in your neighbor's home. <laughs> and you want to have your own home. But you're denied that time after time after time over hundreds of years. You're denied having your own home. At the end of the First World War, they were promised their own homeland territory that would be theirs, that would be their homeland. And then that promise, of course, was crushed because of Kurdish, or excuse me, Turkish interest. There's been antagonism before, between the Turks and the Kurds for a long time. Now you say, are the uh, Kurdish people completely innocent in all this? No, I don't believe they are. See, nothing is so simple. Nothing is that simple. There are elements among the Kurdish people that operate in ways they should not operate. Many of those people, Kurdish people within the area of Turkey, have adopted approaches like the IRA adopted in Northern Ireland which is military resistance, armed resistance. And many of the Kurds who have lived in uh, parts of Turkey have adopted some of those own measures. And of course, when they do that, then guess what the Turkish government will do is they'll call them terrorists. And the people who have engaged in specific actions are indeed fit the category of terrorist. So it's not a simple thing as just this or that same time, that does not characterize the majority, as I understand it and see it, that does not characterize the majority of the Kurdish people as a people. It doesn't characterize them. They have elements within them. I say they would do well to discipline and sever themselves from. Have not done. The point is they're denied a homeland. They keep deny, being denied and denied and denied. They took a vote in uh, northern Iraq after the Iraqi constitution recognized them as a distinct people that should have a right to certain territory, but not as a homeland, but to kind of have a level of autonomy within. And when they took that vote about seceding, it would be like Quebec, you know, separating from the rest of Canada. And so when they took that vote, of course, then the Iraqi government came against them very strongly and harshly. And uh, 
were very oppressive in their tactics toward the Kurdish people. But why did they do that? See, they, they, they lobby, they fight, they do everything they can. They lay down their lives because they want a homeland. Why are the Kurdish soldiers so brave in the battle against ISIS? Why were they outstanding? Why were they willing to die by the thousands? They did. And they laid down their lives gallantly for the fight, along cooperating with the American military in this fight against ISIS. They were hoping to be rewarded. They were hoping that the American government would support them in their ambition and desire for a homeland. Surely if we fight and die for an interest of this United States, it's their interest, they will reward us. They will stand for us. That doesn't appear to be happening. Dalton Thomas says, said that they want to be better friends to the Kurdish people than the mountains are. And the thought came to me just recently, and I'm just going to come to a conclusion. The thought came to me recently that uh, what you do, if you want to be a friend of someone, a real close friend, a good friend of somebody, is you tell them the truth. You don't necessarily tell them what they want to hear. You tell them what the truth is. What I've been able to glean and sense, not only in my own heart and mind, but from the information I've been able to access, and I'm not an expert on it, I'm not pretending to be, but I have some, some persuasions, some senses of what's happening here. It may be that there's a reason why the Kurds continue to exist as a people group. And it may be that those reasons they continue to exist as a people group is because God has favored them and has a purpose for them. There's something in them, in their, almost in their DNA. It's almost in the spirit of the people. And I don't mean every individual Kurd. I mean the, the people as a people. There's something within them that loves Israel and the Jewish people. And I want to tell you that not getting into politics of Israel... You don't have to be a political supporter of Israel to love Israel as God's chosen people through whom he will magnify his name, whom he gave promises that he will yet fulfill. It's very important in how we treat the Jewish people. When we went to Israel in 92, I think it was, and I saw the people around bowing and scraping to political, political Israel I was offended by that. I didn't like that. I said, if the Apostle Paul would have treated the Jewish people the way we are here, this group is, he never would have spent one day in prison. It's wrong to do that. But it's also wrong to reject a people or a person that the Lord has put his hands on. We even find, and let me just take a little bit of a departure here for a moment. When you think of someone in the body of Christ who has the Lord has blessed and called to minister the gospel and that person has fallen into sin and transgression, you don't accept the sin and transgression. And if you're in a position to call it out, you call it out. But don't speak harshly, demeaningly of the person whom the Lord has called because the gifts and the calling of the Lord are apart from repentance not dependent on repentance. He doesn't change his mind with regards to those things. So if I point out the transgression in my brother or sister, the Lord is pleased. But if I speak disparagingly of the one whom the Lord has put his blessing on or anointing on, then the Lord will write that in the book. It will be in the book. And when the books are opened, I will answer for that. And I believe that principle is here with the Kurdish people. So if President of the United States wants to withdraw his forces from northern Syria, that's up to him. Should the American forces be forever in the Middle East? That's up to them to decide. It's not my affair. But they must, from their heart, treat the Kurdish people with respect and kindness. Because there's something in the Kurdish people that the Lord has touched them with. Does he agree with everything they do? No. And will he hold them accountable for the mistakes and errors that they make? Yes. And have they been prevented from having a homeland? And Yes. And perhaps the best thing we could do to them and for them is to say, 
Put your case before the God of the whole earth and trust him for the outcome. Don't take the matter into your own hands to bring about by force something that is being denied you in the normal evolution of political events. Don't do that. We support you as a people. Meanwhile, if you have to live in portions of Turkey, if you have to live in portions of Syria, portions of Iraq, portions of Iran, then be the best neighbor you can be. And let the glorious light that the Lord Jesus will give to you flow through you and become a blessing to those people in whose homes you are living. And if that is one of the ways that a sovereign God has intended to use you temporarily, then cooperate with that choice. But there's coming a new age and there's coming a new world order. And if you satisfy and please him in this present one, he will reimburse you greatly in the one that is to come. Meanwhile, if the Kurdish people have laid down their lives for you, and if you do not respect that, and if you do not protect them reasonably, and if you abandon them to great harm and danger on a whim, if you do that, then you will be visited with judgment yourself. That would be my great concern in this whole thing. Well, we're going to see. We're going to see how all these matters evolve. One thing I noticed happening now is the uh, Dalton Thomas has just talked about this meeting they're going to have tonight. I find that there's very little interest in what they're doing with regards to the Kurdish people as far as the media is concerned. I find much of the media willing to downplay this whole thing. And so the capture and the killing of the leader of ISIS, which has been announced this morning, is going to completely drown out, likely, the sound of the prayer meeting they will have for the Kurds tonight. But heaven has its own recordings. And we would do well that our decisions, the decisions that we make, are made based on the light that the Lord gives to us on the inside, so that when the sound comes, the call comes, we'll be drawn to that call that says, come up hither, come up hither. Again, I just touch on it this morning with you briefly. It's, it's, it's something that really could be and should be presented in a book because it's a big, big subject, big subject.